Amen. Thank you, Joe. Good morning, Grace Hill. Joe, you forgot your glasses. I don't need those quite yet. Good morning, Grace Hill. It's all right. We love Joe. We love Joe. We love Joe. Hope you guys are doing well. This is your first time here. My name's Alan. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Hill Church, and we're just glad that you're here. And man, did Nick and Matt do a great job leading us uh, this morning in worship. Goodness. You know, I, I was just, as they were playing, I, I thought of Psalm 33. It, it says, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous, praise befits the upright. It says this, sing to him a new song, play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. And man, they, they led us skillfully this morning, and that just gives glory to God. So just so grateful uh, to have the musicians that we have that lead us and use their gifts to serve uh, the church. Um, this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, uh, you can go ahead and turn to Luke 4. Um, the verses will be on the screen behind me as well, and you can use your phone app, and we will trust you will not check the masters, as Aaron said. Um, but Luke chapter four, and we'll be over there in just a few minutes. This morning, we will be doing our last message in our sermon series, Joy Over One. Uh, the Bible says there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And so this whole sermon series that we have been in over the last, I guess this is now six weeks, has been designed to challenge us and encourage all of us to go all in when it comes to living a life of making new disciples, to go all in on God's call on our life to make new disciples. And so we started this series all the way back in week one doing a heart assessment and asking a question, am I willing to go all in on this? Am I willing to go all in when it comes to living a life of sharing my faith? In week two, we studied Psalm 96 together, and we saw that there's joy in going all in. There's joy in living a life praising God and praising him to others by telling of what he has done for us in Christ. And that sometimes what we need to do to posture ourselves to receive this joy is to act in obedience to, to do what God has called us to do, and that is sharing with others what Christ has done for us. And so that's why we challenged everyone in the church through this series to find one person who lives locally, who does not know Christ, that you know, and to commit to them. Commit to pray for them daily. So we gave you a prayer guide to pray through. Commit to inviting them to church. Easter's a great opportunity to do that. To Commit to sharing the gospel with them. In week three, Nick taught us how to Philippians 2 about taking on the attitude of a servant and how that postures us to be able to share Christ with people. In week four, we talked about what's at stake for those who do not know Christ. And last week, we talked about are we willing to do whatever it takes to create encounters with Jesus for other people. And this morning, as we conclude this series, I wanna talk about one more obstacle. One more reason why we may not be motivated 
to share our faith, to share the good news of Christ with people who do not know, who do not know Jesus. And I think this is something that commonly happens to people who have been followers of Christ for a long time. If you've been a Christian for a long time, I think this is something that is easily done in our souls and in our hearts. And, and here it is. Here's the obstacle, and then we'll unpack it. The obstacle is this. It's, it's when we no longer view God's blessing on our life as a gift of grace. And we begin to view God's blessing on our life as a right or an entitlement. And, and it happens very subtly. And I think you'd be surprised how easily it can happen. And so I wanna unpack this. What does that mean? What does it look like when that happens? And the way I wanna do that is I wanna look at how this happened to the people of Israel during the day of Jesus. And that's where we're gonna go to Luke 4. Because in Luke 4, I think we're gonna see how this happened. But before we get to Luke 4, I need to do a bit of an Old Testament history lesson with us real quick. I promise I won't make it boring. All right, a quick Old Testament history lesson so we can understand the context of what's happening in Luke 4. So, so here's what you need to know about the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God reveals himself, who he is, first and primarily to the nation of Israel. He reveals himself to them. He chose to bless Israel with this, that they would be the ones that God would give his word to, they would be the ones that God would make a covenant with them. God chose this nation. Now why? Why did God choose Israel to do this? Uh, was it because they earned it? Was it because they somehow compelled God to do it? Were they entitled to it? Well, of course not. Because when God chose to bless the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel didn't exist. They weren't around. Those people weren't around at that point. And we read about this in Genesis chapter 12, when God speaks to this guy named Abram or Abraham. He comes to this guy. Now, Abram, he's from Ur, all right? He's, he's not an Israelite at this time because the nation of Israel didn't exist. And so God chooses to just appear to this guy, Abram, and speak to him. And this is what he says, Genesis chapter 12, verses one to three. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. Look at this. These are really key words right here. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. Look at this. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth Translate that, all the tribes, all the people groups, all the tongues of the earth shall be blessed. So we learn here that God has decided to choose this guy, Abram. Why? He's God. He's allowed to do that, all right? He chooses him for no other reason. And God says he's going to make a great nation out of Abram's offspring, and that will become the nation of Israel, and we read about the emergence of this nation through Abraham's line throughout the rest of the Torah, first five books of the Bible. 
And God says he's gonna bless this nation. He's gonna reveal himself to this nation. He's gonna give his law and his word to this nation. And God says he's going to bless them for, for this purpose. And we read that in, in Genesis 12 too. It makes it clear that the purpose, the reason God is blessing Abram and he's blessing this nation is so that this nation will bless others. Genesis 12.3 makes it clear that the blessing given to Israel is a gift from God that will turn into a blessing to all the nations of the earth. All the families, all the nations and tribes and tongues. Israel has no right to God's blessing. They're not entitled to it. It was a gift of grace that God gave to them for the express purpose that they would take that blessing and they would proclaim to the nations who God is and therefore bless those nations. So we could spend hours unpacking this in the Old Testament, just verse after verse after verse after verse that talks about that the reason God blesses the nation of Israel is so that all the nations will be blessed. That God's vertical blessing upon Israel was for the purpose of Israel horizontally blessing the nations. But I'll just give you one, all right? Because we're not gonna spend hours doing that. Let me give you one more. That's in Psalm 67. If you wanna turn to there real quick. Let me just read you this short psalm it probably makes it as clear as it could be. It says this. This is, the, this is David speaking, but it's the nation of Israel. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us. Who's us? It's Israel. It's God's people. So that your way may be known on earth your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples, who are the peoples? The whole earth. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy, for you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations of the earth. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has produced its harvest. God, our God blesses us. God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. Because that's what God is after. He's after all nations. It's that same pattern, right? God blesses us so that we bless the nations. God's desire is not just to bless one nation, but all nations. And so the nation of Israel was not entitled to God's blessing. It was a gift from God. It was God's grace. And we know this because there are so many times that Israel rejected God. If you read through the Old Testament. Israel said to God, God, we don't wanna proclaim you to the nations. We wanna be like the nations without you. That's what we want. And even though Israel oftentimes betrayed God, rejected God, God still pursued them. He was gracious to them. Why? Because this was a gift of grace. It wasn't a right that they had. This was God's grace, right? So when Israel was in captivity, God would rescue them. When Israel forgot God's word, he would send prophets to preach to them. When Israel was poor and in need, God would provide for them. He lavished his blessing on Israel 
by his grace, as a gift, and God's plan has always been that through this gracious gift on to Israel, all the earth would be blessed, right? There's a multiplying pattern to God's blessing throughout the whole Bible. God blesses so that those who are blessed will bless others. There's no hoarding of blessing to oneself in the kingdom of God. Just can't find that in the scriptures. And so with this context of the Old Testament, I wanna fast forward to the time of Jesus. During this time when Jesus was here, Judaism was a much more established religion. God's people would, would gather in synagogues and they would read the scriptures and they would celebrate the fact that God had given them this blessing And in Luke 4, we read an account of Jesus going to the synagogue, gathering with the people. He's in his hometown, Nazareth, where he's from, where he grew up. And I want us to see how Jesus exposes, here in the synagogue, how God's people forgot the reason why God put his blessing on them. They forgot that God's blessing was a gift to be shared and not a right to hoard. So let's read this. Luke chapter four. I'm gonna read verses 16 to 22. It says this, Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. So now he's quoting from Isaiah. This is Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and set free the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began saying to them, today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. And they were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, isn't that Joseph's son? So here, Jesus reads from Isaiah 61 in the synagogue. All right, as a part of God's blessing on Israel, God promised them that he would send them a Messiah. One who would become their true king and establish the kingdom of God on earth. One who would rescue them from the evil of the world and and establish an eternal kingdom where there would be no more death or sorrow. And Isaiah 61 is one of those texts promising God's people that the Messiah would one day come. So fast forward to this day where Jesus is in the synagogue in Nazareth, you have to understand that this promise of a Messiah was very precious to these people who were gathering in the synagogue because during this day, they were occupied by Rome. They were ruled by Caesar. 
And so the idea of God sending them a Messiah, a, a king, who would liberate them from Roman rule and establish an everlasting kingdom was something they longed for, they prayed for, they waited for. They were God's chosen and blessed people and they were waiting for God to send them their Messiah who would rescue them. And so Jesus reads Isaiah 61, then he tells everyone that he's the fulfillment of it. I'm the guy. That Messiah that you've been waiting for, that's me. And everyone is mesmerized. They're not sure what to think. I mean, Jesus spoke with such graciousness and authority. And they heard about the rumors of Jesus because prior to this, he'd been going around the other towns healing people, performing all these miracles. And so they're wondering, is this true? Could it be that Joseph's kid who grew up down the street, could it be that he's the Messiah? And then Jesus says something to everyone in the synagogue that pokes them in such a way that it reveals that they had forgotten why God chose to bless them in the first place. Look at this, continuing our passage, starting in verse 23 through verse 30. Just get the context. Everyone's mesmerized at him right now. Then he said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, doctor, heal yourself. What we've heard that took place in Capernaum do here in your hometown as well. He also said, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's day when the sky was shut up for three years and six months while a great famine came over the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them except the widow as Zarephath and Sidon. And in the prophet Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy, and yet not one of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up, drove him out of town, brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff. but he passed right through the crowd and went his way. I have no idea how Jesus did that. So Jesus says these things. What in the world happened that made this crowd in the synagogue go from being mesmerized at Jesus to wanting to murder Jesus? Just like that. I mean, he obviously poked a sensitive spot when it comes to their faith, when it comes to their history, that their reaction was to put Jesus to death. So what's going on here? Let me try to explain this and, and how Jesus pushed their buttons because he was intending to do that, to push their buttons. Here's how he did it. So look at verse 23 with me again. It says this, then Jesus said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, doctor, heal yourself, what we've heard that took place in Capernaum do here in your hometown as well. So Jesus knows what the people are thinking when he claims to be the Messiah. Here it is. They're not quite sure if Jesus really is the Messiah or not, but what they do know is that Jesus was in the neighboring town of Capernaum and he was healing people and he was performing all of these miracles. And so the people were thinking, Jesus, 
you're from Nazareth. Like, you're our people. Heal yourself. Or, I think a way of interpreting this is, heal the people of your own town. What you were doing in Capernaum, you should have been doing here. You should start doing here in Nazareth, where you're from. And so Jesus calls them out for having hearts that were immediately wrought with jealousy and selfishness when Jesus announces the kingdom. When he says, I'm the king, I'm the Messiah, there's just jealousy in their hearts. If Jesus is really the Messiah, then we should be the ones who benefit the most. I don't want anyone else to benefit more than I benefit. This is what's going on inside their hearts. And so Jesus has already revealed their selfishness and sense of entitlement, but he's not done. He's gonna go for the jugular. Verses 24 to 28. Let's break this one down. He also said, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you, there were certainly many many widows in Israel in Elijah's day, Elijah, a great prophet from the Old Testament, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months while a great famine came over the land, big famine in Israel. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, any of the widows in Israel, except a widow at Zarephath in Sidon, which is not in Israel. Elijah was sent to a Gentile window, widow. Verse 27, and in the prophet Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy. And yet not one of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian, the Gentile. See, it was now Jesus' turn to give a little Old Testament Testament history lesson. And what Jesus did was he reminded everyone in the synagogue that there had been times in Israel's history that God decided not to bless people in Israel, and yet he decided to bless people outside of Israel. Instead, the Gentiles. That that salvation and this blessing was never intended to be exclusively for the people of Israel, but he's able to put that blessing on whomever he pleases. In fact, Jesus' point here is that his mission, the mission of the Messiah, is to accomplish redemption and salvation, not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles, for the nations, because God's kingdom will include all tribes, all tongues, all peoples. And I'll tell you what, this poked a nationalistic, ethnic pride in these people, where they viewed themselves, we are the nation of Israel, the ones who are the rightful recipients of the blessings of God, better than the other nations. And this guy who's now saying he's the Messiah certainly cannot be the Messiah because the true Messiah would come to prop up Israel, to make Israel great, to conquer the other nations so that Israel could enjoy the blessing of God without enemies. And they forgot They forgot their scriptures. They forgot about God's grace. And they took pride in themselves. They forgot the very reason why God blessed them in the first place. They forgot God's blessing upon them was a gift to be shared 
with the nations and not a right to be kept for themselves. They forgot that God has always announced from the beginning, from his first words to Abram, that his kingdom will be comprised of all nations. It's kind of like Palm Sunday, what we celebrate today. The week before Jesus goes to the cross, he enters into Jerusalem, and we read the text earlier in John 12, where Jesus is coming in, he's riding on a donkey, people are shouting, Hosanna, the king is here. The king, the Messiah, he's here. But something happened that week where that same crowd who was shouting, Hosanna, praise the king, was shouting a week later, crucify him. Kill him. The same thing from Luke 4. They went from mesmerized to murderous. What was it? Well, there was a little incident at the temple where Jesus goes to the temple And he starts overturning tables because there's money changers there benefiting, making money off of people coming to worship. There was practices happening at the temple that was excluding people from coming to be able to come and pray and worship. And Jesus goes berserk in the temple, overturning tables, and he says this, is it not written that my house will be a house of prayer for all nations? That changed everything in Jerusalem. Everything. The crowd went from shouting king to shouting crucify him over that. Entitlement is devastating to our joy in Christ and our faith. We see this in Luke 4. The Messiah, the Son of God, the one who was really bringing the kingdom of God that the Jews had been longing for was standing in their midst and entitlement caused them to miss it. See, when we claim a right to something or if we feel entitled to something, what's going on is we're naturally fighting for ourselves. We're defending ourselves. We're making sure that we get what is rightfully ours. And there's times in life you gotta do that. But the fundamental attitude of claiming rights and entitlements is a me first attitude, me. And whenever we have a me first attitude, two things happen. You'll never have enough. You'll always feel like you deserve more. And it will devastate your relationships with people. Um, over the last couple of weeks, um, my wife and I, we've been taking care of a little four-year-old girl um, as her foster parents. And so this meant that we had, over the last couple of weeks, two four-year-olds and a three-year-old in our house. And then my wife has been gone over the weekend, so I've been dealing with that too. But... Uh, All of them have me first attitudes. I mean, it seems like they wanna play with one another, but man, they're so concerned about getting their way, playing with their toys, wanting to get, not not let anybody else play with what they're playing with. They're just so concerned, just creates all this conflict. One minute they're all laughing and the next minute it's World War III in the house and toys flying. Right, one minute, everything is peaceful, and then someone picks a toy up. And everyone's, whoa, 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 that's my toy. Whoa, whoa, wait, no, and then everyone, they see that this person has picked this toy up. Now everyone has to have that toy, because that's rightfully their toy. And then again, more conflict. That person is not allowed to enjoy that toy, right? And so as parents, we're like, you know, you do your best to try to like tell them, 
listen, it's way less stressful just to share, enjoy one another, let other people go first, have fun. Like it's so much better to do that, but we just can't do it, right? The, this me first attitude, it never allows you to be satisfied and it always puts you in conflict with others. And it's not just preschoolers who struggle with it. See, in Luke 4, the people in the synagogue felt as if they were entitled to the blessing of God. So when they read, I want you to get this, when they read Isaiah 61, when you read your Bible, you interpret it just naturally. When they read Isaiah 61, when they read about how God would send a Messiah who would preach good news to the poor and release the captives and recover sight to the blind and, and free the oppressed, they read themselves into that scripture. They were the poor they were the blind, they were the oppressed, they were the captives. They needed more blessing from God. But Jesus seems to indicate that the Gentile, Zarephath and Naaman, they were examples of people who were poor and blind and captive who needed salvation from God. Not Israel. See, spiritually speaking, Israel wasn't poor. They were rich. Israel wasn't blind. The word of God was given to them. They weren't captive or oppressed, but God himself was their defender, made a covenant with them, brought them to the promised land, promised a future Messiah in a future kingdom. So of course, Isaiah 61 is good news to Israel, but it was also, I'm sorry, it wasn't just good news to just Israel. The nations around them were blind to the truth, didn't know who God was. The nations around them were held captive by their sins. The nations around them were oppressed by evil. They were in desperate need to receive the gift of God's blessing, just like Israel needed it. But Israel's entitlement, their me-first attitude caused them only to think of themselves. In fact, just the idea of including other people was a threat to what they thought was rightfully theirs. See, when you see your faith as a right, an entitlement, you will see yourself as the poor one who needs more from God, the oppressed one who needs a breakthrough, the captive one who needs God to intervene, and blessing others won't even enter your mind. Others are just a competition of what you feel like you need. But when you see your faith as grace, unmerited gift from God, a blessing that you did not deserve, oh, you will see yourself as the rich one, the rescued one, the one who can see clearly. You're not the poor one who needs more. You're the rich one who has abundance to share. Israel was rich with vertical blessing from God, that they were stingy in horizontally blessing others because they were entitled to the point of rejecting the very Messiah they were waiting for. Grace Hill, let's press in on this a little bit. In the 11 years that I have been in pastoral ministry, I can tell you that the number one threat to your joy in Christ is forgetting the fact that God has graciously blessed you in every single way, every way, so that you can bless others. 
If you're struggling in your faith, if you feel like you're distant from God, if you feel like you don't experience joy in your faith, if you're having a hard time with this challenge to commit to sharing the gospel with other people that we've been giving in this series, this might be the reason. We want more from God so we don't even think about how God might use us to bless others. I see more people become stagnant in their faith because they feel they are entitled to more from God and therefore they put off reaching out to others. They need more knowledge. They need more confirmation from God. They need better community. They need better life circumstances. They need a new job. They need a better church experience. They need a different kind of worship experience. They need to get their quiet times on track. They need to read their Bibles more, be better at prayer. They need to improve their marriage or figure out parenting. They need to walk more closely with God. They need a sign from God, whatever it is. It's this subtle me first attitude. Let me take care of me. This attitude that keeps the focus on ourselves, the the strength of our faith, my experience with God. It demands more from God. It's threatened by others because they may get in the way. And it justifies never doing anything to reach anyone else because I'm not ready. Listen, it's pious, but it's unfaithful. And it's completely opposite to the kind of kingdom that Jesus announced in that synagogue. Because God doesn't bless us for our own joy. Get this, this is radical. God blesses us so that others may have joy. Jesus says in Mark 9, 35, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. What this means is, if you get anything, get this, is if you want to grow in your faith, if you wanna experience joy in Christ, if you wanna have an intimate relationship with God, then focus the practice of your faith primarily on serving others and spreading the good news of Christ and put yourself last. That doesn't preach well in our culture. But let me repeat it. If you want to truly grow in your faith, to have joy in Christ, to have an intimate relationship with God, then focus the practice of your faith, serving others and spreading the good news of Christ and put yourself last. Think about this. If you are a follower of Jesus, here's what Paul says about you in Ephesians 1.3. Paul says this about you. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this. Who has blessed us who has blessed you in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You have it all. Every blessing you could possibly have, God has given you if you're a follower of Jesus. You have been forgiven of your sins. You are righteous in God's sight. You have a place prepared for you in God's kingdom for eternity. You have been adopted into God's family. You are a part of the body of Christ. You have been given the Holy Spirit and a million other things. You are rich. Your eyes have been opened to the truth. You've been set free from sin and God has graciously given you this priceless, unmerited gift so that you will bless others. Right, here's the secret to God's kingdom. It's when we put ourselves last. 
It's when we put our preferences last. It's when we put our comfort last. It's when we put our grievances last. It's when we focus the practice of our faith in taking the vertical blessing we have received from God and spreading that horizontally. It's when we are more concerned about others than ourselves. That's when you begin to taste true joy. That's when we begin to experience an emotional closeness to Christ. That's when his word becomes alive. Why? Because that's when we are most like Christ. When we forget about ourselves to love others. Because this is what Christ did for us. He came to serve and not be served. He came to give himself up for us. Jesus came and he opened the kingdom of God to all people, Jew and Gentile, by sacrificing himself on the cross to cover our sins. All one must do to receive this blessing is place their faith in Christ. It's open to all people. And all who have this blessing have become rich and therefore have been commissioned to take this message to others. To live a life now serving, not being served to live a life now giving ourselves for others. And so as we conclude this sermon series all about pursuing other people who do not know Christ, let me ask everyone this, all of us. Do we believe that God has saved us so that we will bless others? Do we believe that God allowed us to gain knowledge of the gospel so that Others can gain knowledge of the gospel. Do we understand that you cannot separate the blessing that God has given us with the mission that God has sent us on? Because if taking the gospel message to those who do not know Christ has been a back burner thing for us, if it's been an optional thing, probably a non-existent thing in our faith, That might be the sign that you've forgotten that God's grace is an unmerited gift and not a right. And maybe you're wondering why you don't experience more joy in your faith. The good news, though, is that God is gracious and patient with us. And he wants to move us into joy. He wants to move us into faithfulness. He wants to move us into being more like Christ because he knows That's what's truly good and best for us. And so let's ask the question. Let's reflect on this. Let's leave here this morning thinking about this. What does it look like for us to focus the practice of our faith primarily on serving others and spreading the good news of Christ and putting ourselves last? This might be the missing ingredient to why maybe you're wondering why your faith is stagnant. And so let me pray that we would be a church that puts ourselves last, that radically serves our neighbors, that is unapologetic about what we believe about Jesus because we know it's good news, that understands that some people are gonna reject us for it, but knowing that it is truly love of others to share the blessing that we have received in Christ. Let me pray for that.
Father, when we read your word in Luke chapter four, it's easy to look at what the people in the synagogue did and how their attitude about Jesus so quickly changed and judge them for it. But Lord, I know in so many times in my life, in my faith, I have been confronted with the same reality. That I want blessing from you. I want more blessing from you. But I'm hesitant to share it with others. God, teach us the ways of your kingdom. Teach us what it really means to be last of all, servant of all. Teach us to trust you that when we put ourselves last, that is truly where our joy is found. Help us to live radical lives like Jesus did. God, we pray that as we continue to reach out to the people that we've committed to, as we invite people to our Easter service, as we get to know neighbors and coworkers, that Lord, you would just do a mighty work through us, that we'd be faithful to share, and that Lord, you would help us to see the work that you're doing in people's lives. Lord, I pray for a wave of new life in Christ to invigorate this church, not so we can pat ourselves on the back, but Lord, so we can take that blessing and continue to share it with others. We love you, Father. We ask for your help. And we ask all of these things in the name of Christ.